Can you say the letter C? All right, here we go. I got a good one lined up for today. I got my main man from the great state of Utah, the muley slash elk slash right now it's been shed killer himself, Jared Knighton with me. We're going to go down the rabbit hole of Colorado. We're going to talk the draw system. We're going to talk non-resident hunting. We're going to kind of, I guess you could say, pick our brains on kind of what we're going to do this year. And hopefully that'll help some of you guys out. I've had a lot of questions here lately and we're getting close to the end of the deadline Um, so I want to get this out to you. It's, uh, it is a Tuesday, I believe it's the 29th. So there's, uh, like eight days left. So I know some of you guys are scrambling guys and gals scrambling to figure out Colorado and what you're going to do. So this is going to launch tomorrow. Hopefully this is going to help some of you out a little bit. Um, if not, just tell us that we suck and you don't want to ever listen to Jared and I talk again. And I'll make sure I note that, um, (laughs) (laughs) outside of that. Let's run through who makes this podcast go. Black Ovis, um, Jared, will, he will be able to kind of uh, agree with me or you could say shake his head in, in conjunction. Yes, um, if you're not a member of Black Ovis, you guys really need to. Um, BlackOvis.com, check them out. Um, super pumped to have them with us this year. I run a ton of their their stuff, their actual um, own Black Ovis branded stuff. I run a lot of their base layers. Um, I know Jared runs some stuff from them too. They got the Arrow ID Builder. Um, you guys have heard me talk about that. It's honestly a killer deal. Pick out your arrows, pick out your wraps, your veins, and within, I believe it's under two weeks max, that will be shipped to your door ready to rock and roll. So those of you that don't have time or if you're like some people and you just honestly don't like building arrows, which, hey, I get it. Um, it can be fun, but it can also be super frustrating. There's a good place for you to go. Um, we got a brand new partnership going on that I'm super stoked about. Grizzly Coolers, really excited to get them on board. Um, I've run, uh, man, I've run some soft coolers from them. I've run some hard coolers. I've run some of their drinkware, uh, their beer can holders, you name it. Um, we've got a code through them. It's just WCB. I believe it's 10% off. Any of your orders, enter that in. Super stoked to be working with all those guys. Great company, great products, man. They've got you covered A to Z on keeping stuff hot, keeping stuff cold. Um, I got a lot of hunts out of state, like always, planned um, a lot that I'm going to probably be driving to this year. So those coolers are going to definitely get put to use. Um, I've got a couple of the big ones on order right now, so I'm stoked about that. Um, That'll be great for this elk hunt that Jared and I have coming up later on, hopefully in probably that mid uh heading towards later part of uh september so super stoked about grizzly can't thank those guys enough for uh supporting us and kind of believing in this podcast as it takes off and still is kind of taking shape but yeah wcb is the code to get you some money off support those guys they run a great instagram and facebook page check them out there they've always got cool stuff they're doing so yeah stoked to be uh partnered up with them and with that being said I'm going to let the man of the hour take over now. My man, Jared, how we doing, brother? I know you were a shed hunting fool yesterday. I talked to you midway through on your hike in. Uh, how did, uh, I just, I got to ask you right off the rip before you even introduce yourself. I, I, I got to know how the shed hunt go yesterday. It went all right. Not according to plan. 
totally, you know, I didn't get into any Browns, but yeah, I ended up finding a good hard white six point. So nice. Wasn't a total bust. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I had to get that right out of the way. I, I, I was kind of anxious to, to see kind of where the direction went on that from yesterday and whatnot. But uh, Jared, go ahead and tell everybody just, hey, man, tell them what you do. You've got a really cool job. Um, Jared's actually in a line of work that, that kind of I was planning on going into right out of college and things just changed and went a different direction. But give them a rundown of kind of what you do, a little bit about you and, and just kind of some of your, you know, your, your bow hunting and hunting background. You're, you're kind of bouncing all over the map like I do, too. So just give us a quick little rundown about yourself, my man. Right. Well, I'm 29 years old. I'm from Salt Lake, Utah. Uh, I work in corrections, which is a pretty interesting job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It has its days for sure. And then uh, I have a wife. I'm married to a beautiful woman named Allie. Been with her for about eight years. And we have two dogs. And every chance I get, I'm bow hunting or shed hunting or spending as much time outdoors as I can. So I started bow hunting uh, back in 2014. Mm -hmm. I would say that's about when I started doing it religiously i've been hunting all my life you know but it yes. was just going with the old man once a year type deal yep uh but around 2014 i decided to start taking it a little more serious and started devoting a lot more time to it and preparing all year long for it and now it's just something that i have to do not something that i necessarily want to do i have to do it every year so no, oh, absolutely, man. You, it's kind of funny. Um, Jared and I met, you know, everybody knows I, I hunt the front. That's not a big secret. And so does Jared. And, and it's, it's not, uh, we're not going to try to sugarcoat and, and, and make it sound like it's something it's not. We both met on the mountain. We got a lot of good mutual friends out there in, in Utah, but it's funny. I, I hooked up and, and kind of met Jared basically just hiking up in him and I ran into each other a couple of different times. And, 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 you know, one time I recognized him another time he recognized me from like Instagram and, and just different things. And we've got the same circle of friends and we spent a couple of days this year running around chasing elk together. And, and we went and glassed for some bucks in the rut. We ended up being at the same trailhead during the mule deer rut together and just pretty much spent the whole day and hunted and, we both bounce around in Colorado a lot and we just, we're like, you know what? Hey, we got the same amount of points. We both got, uh, well, heck, where are we at? We're at what? A couple, couple points of, or well, a point for deer and a couple points for elk apiece. So we both were like, well, Hey, let's just set something up and jump into an adventure. And, and, uh, we both love the state of Colorado and love the high country. And so that's kind of, you know, we kind of made the decision, uh, I guess it would have been whenever I was on the old dreaded, old dreaded elk hunt. We spent Jared and I spent one whole day with a group of bulls, pretty much from about mid morning to the very end. Um, just kind of came up with a plan of you know we'll figure out some units and, and kind of go from there and, and go hunt Colorado together. So it'll be kind of our first like trip, I guess you could say together. But um, yeah, it's 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 cool how the the hunting world you you meet people and and you know you end up being good buddies and whatnot. You know we talk pretty regularly now and and it's been fun to get to know you more and it'll it's been it's going to be exciting to go on some of these hunts with you and and you know we both have that burning desire and passion to hunt uh, mule deer and elk with our bows and you know you're you're about as into it as they get with bow hunting and and I feel like that's kind of how I am so it's 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 been cool to cool to kind of hook up. Um, and get to be good buddies and whatnot. But main uh, main thing I wanted to talk about, Jared, was, you know, I, I've been getting a lot of questions on guys that have never hunted Colorado. You know, Colorado is 
I mean, what I would call, and I'm sure you'll probably agree, for non-residents, I mean, it's a pretty friendly state. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of, you know, basically over-the-counter 0.1 point units that are, you know, good units for bucks and bulls and different things. But it seems like the biggest question I get is, you know, kind of for a non-resident like yourself, when you started hunting Colorado, how did you navigate the system or kind of what was your plan or like, I guess, what was your goals you know, were you building points right away or did you just want to dive in and go hunt zero point units and just start in? Or did you start with kind of second choice, uh, applying for a preference point first and then, you know, hunting a second choice unit just to kind of build some knowledge or kind of how did you start in Colorado? I guess we'll just kind of kick it off there and hopefully this will kind of curve that learning curve for guys a little bit that are sort of struggling with kind of what to do with Colorado as soon as you kind of get into it, I guess. Yeah, so I, I just started looking at Google Earth right away. I mean, you know, watching hunting shows and guys are in the high country yep. and that high alpine and they're stalking bucks in the alpine willows. And yep. it just looked like awesome country that I wanted to be in. And so I just took to Google Earth and started learning different areas that I might be interested in and then utilized programs like Go Hunt to kind of figure out, like, how many points each unit took to mm-hmm. draw just kind of went from there. But the first unit that I hunted in Colorado, I actually had uh, four points to draw it. So I kind of sat on some points for a few years mm-hmm. before I actually hunted Colorado. Yep. But it's, it's always been on my mind. I just can't wait to go back. That's why I want to go back with you so bad. But, yeah, I think uh, just utilizing the maps and programs like Go Hunt to figure out how many points you need to draw what unit you want. Yep. Uh, and usually, like, if I'm, if I'm looking at Google Earth, I'm typically looking for, like, big alpine basins, uh, cliffy, you know, like cliff bands and, like, willows and sparse timber, uh, just those types of characteristics are what I'm looking for in, in good mule deer habitat. Yeah. I I get a lot of people that, uh, that ask me, um, and I know this gets asked, um, to Kurt and the rest of the gang, um, on WCB a lot, you know, kind of where do you start in a state like Colorado? You know, if you want to go hunt mule deer and I always tell people, you know, and I'm sure you'll agree with this because you and I were both newbies to Colorado and by no means do we know everything there is to know about the state, but you know, I've hunted it, six or seven times. And I know you've been there, you know, for elk and for mule deer and different things. And, and, um, you know, kind of, I've always told people, you know, you, you got to hunt what you like. I mean, for you and I, we both love the high country, you know, so that 12, 13, 14,000 feet stuff above timberline, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Um, so I want to go into a unit where there's a lot of that. And the unit that Jared and I have picked to apply for this year as our first choice and actually our second choice, both units have a lot of high country, a lot of cliff bands to them, uh, sparse timber, like Jared said, you know, I, would you say that that's probably like the first step for people, Jared is, is, Hey, you know, if you don't like heights or you don't want to be above timber line, then the high country is not going to be for you. You're going to want to more or less hunt foothills or the plains, or, you know, I almost tell people you got to hunt the terrain features that you want to, that you want to hunt in or that you feel comfortable in. Cause if you're afraid of heights or you don't like, you know, being that high, uh, that guy's going to absolutely hate where you and I go. I mean, he was, you know, he'd follow us up there for a day and be like, yeah, right. No way am I living up here in nine days. <laughs> that'd be, <laughs> that'd be the end of that. But you know, is, right. is, is that kind of something that you started with was like, 
in your mind, it was, okay, I want to hunt the high country. So that's primarily what I'm going to focus on more so than just, oh, where's all the big deer killed from in Colorado? Because for me, I looked at it from the standpoint of where do I want to hunt? What kind of terrain features? And then that led me two units with a lot of high country. Is that kind of sort of how you started the whole gig in Colorado too, was figuring out like where you wanted to be, what you wanted to hunt in, and then pick your units from there basically? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm more or less hunting the country, not necessarily the deer yep. that live there. That's a great uh, way to put it. I love uh, I love hunting the mountains. There's just something about being on a 12,000-foot peak in glass and velvet mealies. It, yep. You know, there's just something about it, so... I don't know if I could ever really hunt the low country. Nothing against low country, right. thing, but I'm not opposed to it. But yeah. I just love the high country so much. And there's just so many variables and factors that go into it. You have to be in shape and right. you have to adjust your, your lungs to the altitude. I mean, when you're up there at 12,000 feet, the air's a lot thinner. So yep. if, you're, if your body's not used to, to that low of oxygen, then you might be in trouble. So. Yeah. No, absolutely. I just, love, I just love all the logistics that go into planning a high country adventure. Like, yeah. You got to figure out where water is, um, a good camp spot, good glassing points. I mean, all those things are, are things that you have to factor in. And then obviously uh, where deer live and you kind of want all those things in one, you know, centralized location. You don't really want to be like, hiking 10 miles to go get your water and then five miles to your glassing point. You know, you want to be at least within a mile of everything. Right. So you're not expending unnecessary energy getting to one place to another. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a lot that goes into the, um, you know, hunting in the high country. And I think that's what draws guys like you and I to it every year is just the challenges. And it's, it's kind of a year round thing between shooting and keeping your body in good shape and, and being able to, to deal with the elevation and the weather changes. I mean, the high country is, is definitely a certain terrain feature where you've got to love the environment to, to kind of thrive in it. Um, and the challenges that you face every day. Now, um, I want to rewind just a little. So if, if for, for people that are listening that have never hunted Colorado and they want to build points, but You've heard me say this if you're a regular listener to the Working Class Bowhunter podcast or if you listen to um, Eastman's Elevated. I've said this with Brian a couple times. Um, you know, I'm a guy that if someone asked me, how do I get how do you get good to hunt mule deer? Well, the answer is you got to hunt mule deer. How do you get good to hunt an elk? You got to hunt elk. So I'm a guy that wants an elk tag and a mule deer tag every year. Um, a cool deal about Colorado is if you've never hunted it, you can build points but still get a tag. So basically what Jared and I are going to do right now is, is, is explain that and break it down because in Colorado they've got a preference point system. So that preference point system basically is that's going to allow you to apply for a point um, as a first choice and then as a second choice you could actually – well, I think you get what? You can apply for I think up to three choices in Colorado, but that second choice you could apply – for a unit and if you draw your second choice you actually are going to gain your point plus gain a tag which is really cool because yeah. a lot of states you know that is not the case but in Colorado you could actually have a tag to hunt on and then still be able to you know gain a point so if there's a unit that you really want to hunt in 3 or 4 years like Jared had talked about he sat on four points 
Now, the good thing for Jared is he gets to hunt Utah and other states every year, so he's perfecting his craft. He's getting to hunt mule deer. He's getting to glass and put stocks and do all this stuff while he's waiting on building a tag in Colorado. If you're a guy like me that started out 12 years ago, I've never hunted mule deer, so I wanted to hunt mule deer immediately but also build points. So walk us through, Jared, if you're that guy. Let's say you're, you live in Missouri. You want to go hunt mule deer. You want to hunt Colorado. I mean, good strategy would be apply for a preference point, and then that second choice unit, you can actually find units that you'd be able to hunt um, and still get the tag, be able to hunt mule deer um, on that second choice, but you're going to gain a point. What, In your opinion, what's the major benefit? I mean, obviously you're getting to hunt mule deer, but you know, I've, coming from the east, if you've never hunted mule deer, I mean, you've grown up doing it. I've ha- I had to learn how to do it, and it took me four years of getting my ass kicked to actually get anywhere, figure it out. Um, my first couple years, I mean, I completely got my teeth kicked in, and I'm not afraid to admit that, but what's the big benefit in your opinion? I mean, if, if you had to kind of nail it down, why would you say that would be super beneficial to a guy to build a point, but yet still hunt it as much as you can while you're building that point? Well, I still get my teeth kicked in on every hunt I go on. <laughs> yeah, me, <laughs> me too. We definitely did that during the elk hunt. That's for sure that day. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, but, yeah, I would just say any any state that gives you an opportunity. So if I was from back east and I wanted to yep. hunt out west, I would start applying for every every western state, honestly, yep. especially you know, all the ones that have good high country, if that's what you're into, mm-hmm. uh, I would just start building points in those states. But yeah, as far as a state like Colorado goes, I would, I would probably put in for a harder to draw unit at first. Yep. I mean, unless you wanted to draw right away, then you, could, you know, put in for one of those zero to one point units and hope that you draw that as your first choice. Yep. Um, but if not, you could go for gold and, you know, try to, try to put in for one of those harder to draw units and then do like a zero point unit as your second choice. Right. So that would be more of a sure thing to draw. And then you're building a preference point and you kind of have your name in the hat for a harder to draw unit. And then, you know, you'd be able to hunt your, your uh, easier to draw unit and still get your preference point. If you don't draw that harder to draw unit. Yep. And then I believe, yeah, and then I I think you can actually just put in for a preference point. I think the code's yeah. like like O nine nine O or something for deer. Um, you can put in for that as your first choice to where you're not going to draw a tag for sure on that first choice. But then the second choice, like Jared said, you can apply for you know a, a zero a zero or a one point unit. And there are units out there. Um, last year I drew a second choice unit. I applied for a preference point, drew a second choice unit. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's very possible. Now for the guys that let's say, let's say you don't draw that second choice. Um, you don't draw it. There are still a couple other opportunities in Colorado that we're going to break down that you could still get a tag. They have what is, I believe they call it the leftover. Do they call it leftover draw or leftover lottery? I forget what Colorado. So they, have a, they actually have a secondary yep, draw. Secondary draw. So if you don't draw on the primary draw, then yep. you have the secondary draw, which is sometime in July, I believe it's July 5th. Yeah, year. I think it's like that first week, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you don't draw on the primary draw, then you go for a tag in the secondary draw. And they do a – they give out like the leftover tags from yep. the primary draw. So you can kind of 
see how many tags are are left over from right. the primary draw, or you know, guys turn their tags in too because yep. they aren't able to hunt the hunt the, during those times or whatever. So they turn their tags in, and then those tags become available in the secondary draw. Um, and then if you don't draw in the secondary draw, you have a third opportunity, which would be the leftover yep. draw, and that's just first come first serve. You get on the website. It's, it's a bit of a shit show. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a it's a total shit show disaster that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your computer crashes. Yeah, kicks you out of the system, and and then you're screwed. But if you're lucky, some people get really lucky. Oh yeah, really get or they buy some really good tags in that leftover. But that's basically just over the counter, first come first serve. But it's very difficult to get a hold of those tags on the on the leftover. But, yeah. Yeah. You definitely want to do your research on that. If you're going to try to draw uh, a second choice, because that, that tag, the, the second choice, um, that's going to be your best bet. Um, the second lottery and then the leftover tags. I mean, those are two other ways you could get a tag, but it is definitely harder. Like Jared said, to pick those up. Um, so definitely do your homework and do some research, whether it's through Go Hunt or you know any tag service that guys that can help you kind of narrow down units that you've got a really really good chance to draw in that second choice um, bracket if that's what you want to do. And I would highly recommend you know guys that want to build points in Colorado um, but don't want to draw you know, I guess you could say the desired unit that they want to be in because they have no experience. I mean, that second choice deal is definitely a great option. I mean, I've used that numerous times building points. I still wanted to hunt mule deer. Best way to get good at it or at least get a grip on it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if anyone's really what you could say absolutely great at hunting mule deer because like Jared said, we all get our asses kicked every year from time to time, but you at least get more comfortable being uncomfortable on the mountain the more you do it. So, that's a great option in Colorado for non-resident guys. And just a little food for thought. I mean, realistically, besides sheep and goats, you can apply for every other animal in Colorado, a preference point every year. I think it's what, like 10 or 15 bucks for like the point. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's relatively cheap. It's yeah, like it really is for the app fee. And then I believe you have to buy a habitat stamp. Yep. And I, I believe you have to front the tag fee, which is kind of annoying, but you front the tag fee, which is a few hundred dollars. I think it's three hundred, and then uh, then you're refunded if you don't draw the tag. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good system as far as uh, it's inexpensive. Some states get really expensive. Oh yeah. Application fees, and you have to buy a license, and all these different things. Colorado, you don't have to buy the license. You just have to you just have to apply and pay that app fee and just buy the habitat stamp and that's it. So, yeah. And you know, Colorado is a great state. Cause I mean, I, I feel like it's one of the Western States where every unit, um, there's a giant buck and a giant bull in it. I mean, you know, Colorado is well known for us, very strong, um, elk population there. It's, it's, it's kind of the, the staple of the mule deer world as far as, you know, giant bucks and whatnot. I mean, every unit, you know, even your zero and one point units. I mean, you can find slammers across the state in every unit. Um, it's just some spot, some units are going to have more than others and less pressure and all that stuff and whatnot. But I mean, Colorado as a whole, you know, if you can learn to navigate the system and, and kind of, 
have a game plan for what you want to do. Colorado is a great state to bow hunt, um, especially if you're a non-resident because they do give you a lot of options. And, you know, it's not what I would call one of the most expensive. It's not the cheapest by any means, but it's not one of the most expensive. It's kind of right there in the middle. So it's a pretty solid, uh, pretty solid spot to go into. And I mean, as far as breaking down, you know, where to go, I mean, touching back on that, like for us, you know, we pretty much picked out a unit for mule deer this year. We both agreed we wanted to hunt high country and, and we found a unit that we both really liked, um, I'm going to let Jared kind of break down sort of what we found in this unit, what we liked, and kind of why we chose um, the unit. Unfortunately, we're not going to give you the unit number. I know everyone's waiting on us to drop that out there. We're not uh, – we love you, but we don't love you that much. I mean, maybe – I don't know. You know, maybe if you send us nudes or something, we might think about doing it. But as of right now, we're not going to give out exactly where we're at. But we, uh, we will break down – I'm going to have Jared break down kind of – We've talked on the phone a few times and, and in person whenever we were hunting, we've broke some units down, kind of what we were looking at and, and kind of why we chose some units. Um, there's a few key features I'm going to let Jared break down. Um, and this will kind of help guys that are struggling to figure out, you know, okay, I've got three units. Um, these three units I could draw. Uh, okay, which one should I draw? You know, I get asked that a lot. And I mean, there's a lot of key factors and we're going to try to break that down for you as far as like what we look for, not saying that what we're doing is by all means the God's law by any means, but this is just kind of what, why we chose the unit that we did. Um, and hopefully this will kind of help you guys out a little bit that are struggling to kind of pick a unit. Um, so, so Jared, okay. So we, we decided we wanted high country. That was, that was a, a key factor for both of us. So we started kind of looking, um, in a certain region of the world in the state of Colorado, I guess, how would you break that down to somebody? Um, you know, why we chose that region? I mean, obviously the whole state's pretty solid on bucks, but you know, there's a few specifics on kind of why we chose what we did without giving it away. You know, the unit, obviously what kind of, how would you break down like kind of why we're going where we're going, I guess. I would say number one thing I have to, it, it has to be roadless backcountry. Yep. So, yep. um, you know, three to three to 10 miles away from a road is usually the sweet spot for finding a nice buck in the high country. Yep. Um, not to say there isn't big deer that live right off the road. Cause, oh yeah. Cause there uh, are for sure. There definitely are in certain places that yep. can adapt. So, uh, that's, that's one key feature that I'm looking for. Um, another key feature is just high alpine, like we talked about. Yep. And lots of it. So if there's multiple basins that I can access from maybe one trail that takes me up into a place and then I can go off trail and get on a ridge line and start grabbing some vantage points and yep. start glassing different basins and drainages to figure out where the deer are living. That's that's usually my strategy for for finding and locating uh, nice mule deer. Um, and then some other uh, key features. I'm usually looking for good feed, good vegetation. So on Google Earth, you can kind of zoom in and see certain vegetations greener than others. Um, you can kind of pick out where the willows are and where the sparse timber is. I'm looking for water. I'm looking for all those key features because that's gonna that's gonna lead to the animals typically. If there's if there's good feed, that's usually where the animals are. 
Yeah, and those have everything else like the the cover and seclusion yep. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the the willows that we keep talking about. So those high country willows, it's basically like a um, it's a plant. It's like a bush basically, but the the leaves off these willows are what they love to eat. And I mean, these willows can get thick. I mean, honestly, for someone to walk through them, I mean, it's a total nightmare. I mean, hell, I've been in willows in the high country that are taller than my, you know, taller than me, easily taller than, than Jared and I. Um, but they'll bed right in them. They'll feed in them. I mean, that's kind of primarily like the main source of high country feed for a lot of these big bucks. And that's a super huge, um, key factor in kind of I would say when I first started hunting Colorado, you know, everyone says, oh, you got to find the good, the good willow patches and that's where you'll find mule deer. And I mean, I listened, but I don't think I was keying into that as much as I should have been. Um, and realistically, the secluded patches of timber that are surrounded by secluded patches of willows. I mean, if you can get into those and find those in that high country, I mean, you're going to get into bachelor bucks, bachelor groups of bucks that are still in velvet, especially that early, you know, that early part of the season, we're going to be hunting that first week. Um, I tell a lot of people and I'm sure Jared will agree, you know, bucks that aren't pressured that are still in velvet in that early part of the year. um, Those are your easiest to kill bucks. You know, when they strip, and get hard horned later on in the month and that feed line starts to burn down into the timber closer to the timber now you're hunting bucks in the in the timber and in the dark timber um man that can really be tough because they're they're not bedding in the open they're not bedding in the rocks anymore now they're 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 down you know as that feed line moves down the animals move down so now you're into that that timber and whatnot and that does make it hard so Definitely, if you can hunt that first, you know, week to 10 days, I mean, that's honestly the sweet spot in Colorado for the early mule deer hunt, that early archery hunt. Um, Water's a big one. Jared touched on that. You know, water's key for mule deer, but it's also key for you. You know, um, I know Jared and I had talked about this unit. You know, there's quite a few spots where we can get water. Um, It looks like there's going to be water pretty much about anywhere we want to go, not only for deer, but for us too, because, you know, I mean... I don't know about you, Jared, but I'm going to assume you're probably like me. I mean, you don't want to be in a position where you're only drinking 20 ounces of water a day by any means. I mean, I like to no. suck. I like to suck water down, especially in that high elevation. You know, you get uh, altitude sickness or you get dehydrated. That is not a great. Well, it's not good to get that anywhere, but when you're at 13,500 feet, that is definitely not a great time or place to get any type of altitude sickness, especially accompanied with. Um, dehydration, you're pretty much setting yourself up for a total disaster there. Um, that can be life threatening. So water is a big one. Um, that's something we talked about the road systems. You brought up a really good point about that. You know, now I do want to add, and Jared touched on this, don't overlook spots that people are walking right by because there are spots that people will walk right by deer to go find other deer and they don't even realize they're doing it. So a good rule of thumb is, as you're walking into a unit, you know, anytime that I take breaks or I take a, hey, I'm going to get a snack or, hey, I'm just going to take five minutes and let myself cool down a little bit, I've always got my glass out. And Jared and I both, um, you know, we're notorious for, we've always got our binos up. We're always glassing. Um, you know, I can name quite a few guys that I know, including myself, that have been walking in and only a mile or two from the truck. And I mean, I've actually put some stocks on really good deer right off the rip, um, walking into my unit 
that, you know, seasoned it open. I was a day or two running behind and I'm walking in and boom, here's a good buck. I mean, I've actually set up and camped a couple of days and hunted a specific buck a mile and a half from my truck. And I was planning on going eight miles in, but you know, you don't want to walk right past deer. So it's a good rule of thumb to, to do some glassing as you're walking in. I mean, like I said, you don't want to walk right past deer to go find other deer. I mean, if there's bucks there and there's bucks that are there that you could hunt, by all means, you know, some of those spots, guys will walk right by to get into the back country because typically, like Jared said, you know, that three to 10 mile mark, a lot of guys don't want to go in necessarily maybe that deep, or maybe they want to hunt from the truck and they want to cover country with the truck instead of using their legs and glass. You know, there's different ways to skin a cat. So, I mean, everyone's got their flavor. We like to pack in, um, as far as packing in and stuff, I get asked about that a lot. You know, I like to pack into an area and I know Jared's probably feels the same as me. I like to go in and spend at least, at least two days. You know, I want two evenings and two mornings or at least two evenings and, and, and a morning, um, before I'm going to call quits and pack up camp and move. Um, what's kind of your rule of thumb, Jared? I mean, you know, you and I like to be pretty mobile. Um, we both pack real light, you know, we like to put camp on our back, but when you do set up camp and you're in a spot, what's kind of your general rule of thumb? Okay. You know, you hiked in the day before season, you got to where you wanted to camp, you got water, you've got shelter, you're a thousand feet down off the ridge line, so we're not having to worry about lightning. We sure as hell don't want to get shish kebobbed up there. Uh, I'm sure you've been in bad situations just like I have where the oh, lightning's uh, making you piss down your legs. So we <laughs> we got our camping spot set up. Um, okay, we've not scouted this yet. You know, um, what? how many, you know, what's your rule of thumb? Are you, are, you, are you kind of a two evening and one morning, two morning, two evening type of guy too, to where you want to make sure you're, you're giving it a fair shot before you'd ever load up camp and head down the ridge or up the ridge and, and go to a different spot. I mean, is that kind of what you're kind of what you like to do is spend at least a solid day and a half or so in that spot and really cover it all. Or do you like to move right after, you know, one or two sessions of glassing? It, it kind of depends if I've scouted an area and mm-hmm. I know certain deer are living in the area, I'll give it a little bit more time if, yep. if I haven't located them yet. But yep, that makes uh, sense. Yeah, if, I'm, if I'm going in blind to yep. an area, and I haven't seen anything uh, for one morning and one evening. I'm bailing for yep. sure. Yep. I'm going to go find a new spot. And typically you can, you can see almost at least 80% of the animals in a basin uh, within, you know, morning and evening of right. glassing especially yep. in the summertime uh, before season or that first day or first couple days of the season when they're not, not as pressured. Yep. No, absolutely. And that's something I want to touch on too. Um, you know, it's great if you have time to go out and on, on this particular hunt, um, I know Jared's going to be able to, you know, he lives in Utah, so he's a lot closer than me. He's going to get to go scout for sure. I'm going to try to link up for a weekend and fly out and, and then meet up with him and go. But we're going to have at least Jared, if not both of us in this unit, a couple, you know, at least for a few days to be able to do some scouting and kind of get a good game plan. But if you're a guy like me on most years where you don't have time to do that, and most of the times I've hunted Colorado, I have not been able to scout. So I'm kind of going in blind. Um, I think it's a good rule of thumb, like Jared said, you know, I like to spend at least a morning, evening, maybe another you know, maybe another, uh, evening, um, 
you know, I try to get to these hunts at least a day, if not two days before the hunt starts. So I've got time to really kind of bounce around in glass a few mornings and evenings in the middle of the day. I like to check out spots for, you know, where's the greenest feed? Where's the most water? You know, I mean, I try to utilize the entire day. I'm not one to go back to camp and take a nap. I'm always trying to get something accomplished, even if it's just, hey, find another patch of willows, find another water source, whatever. Um, I know Jared's kind of the same way as far as, you know, you want to stay busy and use your time wisely. So that is something I wanted to touch on, though. You know, if you have time to scout, that is great. I mean, that puts you way ahead of the game. Most people, I feel like, that are non-residents usually don't have that luxury. And if you're going public land unguided like what we are and like what we do, you know, it is kind of all falling on your shoulders to scout ahead of time. And I mean, Onyx and Google Earth and different things, I mean, that can really put you in good spots. Um, as far as game plans go and really kind of putting plans together, I mean, you know, I typically like to always have at least four or five points of reference, you know, different places where I can hunt, where I could camp, different spots off of a few different trailheads. I'm sure, Jared, you're probably kind of in that same boat as far as, you know, multiple plans are a good thing because you never really know till you get there how many guys are going to be in there or what the feed line looks like. I mean, if you get a hot, dry spell at the end of August and it burns all the feed down, I mean, some of those high country basins can be ghost towns because, you know, all your deer have moved out of them because the feed's gone. So what's kind of your rule of thumb? I mean, how many I guess how many plans or game plans or different trailheads, like kind of what's what's like the safe zone in your mind for going into a hunt? Like how many different plans do you have? I mean, I know there's there's been times where I've kind of put all my eggs into a basket and that was a huge mistake. And I learned that way back in my younger days of doing this, that you don't want to be the guy that puts all dozen eggs in one basket because uh, if it does go south and shit hits the fan, you're kind of left scratching your head starting back from square one. So kind of walk us through your... I guess, planning process, Jared, on kind of like, okay, I've not got to scout this spot, but, you know, I've got a few spots in mind, like how many spots are, I guess, a few spots for you? Like what, what would you feel comfortable with as far as different areas or different spots going into a hunt like this? If I can, if I can find like a trail that'll take me into an area where I can, I can get on a ridge and, yep. and glass multiple basins yep. from that line or that trail system. Yep. Then that is that's ideal. Yep. Um, if you're just hiking up a trail and it leads you to a dead end basin and you're all clipped out on every edge, you really don't want to be in that in that boat because if there's no bucks in that basin or or there's a lot of hunting pressure in that basin, that's kind of your only your only game plan. Yep. Uh, whereas if you have multiple basins that you can move to if you're not seeing game or or if there's a lot of hunting pressure in one basin you can move to the next that's that's typically the way i like to hunt but i once i'm in an area i typically like to stay especially if if it is an area like that where i can bounce from basin to basin yep Uh, and then if need be i'll i'll come up with a second trailhead you know that's that's my plan z let's say yeah that's that's uh definitely not what i want to do but i if i have to do it i definitely have that that game plan as well but i usually pick out like the best looking basins and those are kind of my primary basins to investigate first at the beginning of the hunt or during scouting season yep and if i turn up good bucks there that's that's typically where i'm going and then i have my plan B 
and C from there. Um, but usually it's, it's, I can hike down the ridge and get to plan B and plan C. It's not, I have to hike all the way out. Um, but de- yeah, it's definitely good to have that, that contingency plan because stuff does go awry. Um, and sometimes you're forced out of the high country, yep. uh, because of a storm or oh, yeah. factors as well. It, it snowed in September in 2020 and yep. I had to bail out of the I did, I did, I did too. I was, I was yeah. down in, in southwestern Colorado and it was like three or four inches per hour and they were shutting the roads and locking gates. And I mean, yeah, it was like an emergency deal. Like, I mean, I had to pack up and get the hell out like right now or I was going to get locked in. Yeah, it was, it was pretty scary. Yeah. That, that year was pretty dry as well. Yep, you, it really was. We kind of talked about how how uh, if it's dry and the feed kind of burned off in the high country, the yep. deer kind of changed their behavior. And I noticed that uh, for sure because I scouted a whole bunch of really nice bucks in 2020. And and then, you know, come the hunt on September 2nd, um, the feed had dried off and all those bucks had kind of pushed down into secondary yep. living where the, where the feed was a little more lush in the timber. And right. I wasn't able to locate my my top choice bucks because they just, they weren't there. They were ghosts. They were all timbered up and they, they changed their, their patterns. So, uh, you kind of have to adapt with that if, if, uh, that's the case. And, uh, Colorado used to open a little bit earlier. Yeah, they did. Kind of that last week of August yep. when it would open. And now it's that first week of September. So, uh, yeah, the feed, the feed can really determine where the bucks are living at that time. Yeah, uh, abs- yeah, absolutely. Better. Yeah, it's nice to have um, if you can get a trail system that connects to a ridge line that'll connect to a couple of different ridge lines to where you know you can be within a day's hike of a couple different basins in either direction, and you've got a lot of options. I mean, that's ideally what I think Jared and I both are trying to sort of paint the image in your head is you know if you can get on a ridge line and that ridge line connects to other ridge lines, and you've kind of got a trail system of ridge lines um and you're not cliffed out like Jared had talked about you know that really opens up endless opportunity and that can give a guy a lot of different options but if you are going to put your eggs into a basket that is cliffed out and you can tell from Google Earth it's pretty much you're going to hike in you're going to hunt this basin and maybe the other side of the ridge line and that's it um you definitely want to make sure you've got other spots picked out other trailheads and other places you can get to because if those you know, let's say two basins that, that are kind of cliffed out. If they don't end up producing or you blow all the bucks out or there's guys that beat you in there or maybe the feeds burn off, whatever the case is, there's no water, um, et cetera. You know, you, you don't want to be trying to scout on the fly. You want to kind of have plans already put in place so you're not wasting valuable time. Um, I want to touch on elk real quick because that's coming up right with the deer deadline as far as putting in for that too. Um, now, great thing about Colorado is there's a very strong elk herd. Um, not as I would say the the, qual- the 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 quantities there, the quality. There's definitely states that have and produce more and bigger bulls, but as far as just a great elk hunting state with a lot of opportunity and a lot of good solid bulls and a really strong herd, hard to beat Colorado. Um, there again, we're going to apply together in a unit. Um, should draw it. Um, should be a lot of fun. What, you know, Jared and I both have kind of hunted all over the place for elk. What's kind of, 
in, in a quick synopsis, I mean, what are you looking for, Jared? To, you know, if someone that's never hunted elk, they're going to go to Colorado. They're scrambling right now to find a tag. They got five or six different units. What are you personally looking for when it comes to, hey, I want to hunt elk. You know, I've never done it. Um, kind of put yourself back in time. What were you looking for? Or if you're someone right now that's that's in that position, what would you tell someone to look for um, as far as to get into elk and, and just put themselves in position to have just a good solid hunt to where they're into animals and they're able to find elk? Kind of what are you looking at or what are you looking for in the state of Colorado? Because there is a lot of units with a lot of elk, but there again, there's some things that are going to dictate kind of why you'd want to go to a certain spot over another um, so just kind of take it from here and give us your thoughts on if you're that guy that's never hunted them, but you definitely want to go get a tag this year. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in the boat of, uh, I'm not, I'm no expert on elk hunting by any means. I mean, well, that makes I'm two still, of us. <laughs> I'm, I'm still learning every year. So yep. Me too. I'm, I'm pretty new to, to elk hunting. I mean, I've elk hunted my whole life, but it's, it hasn't been like, a priority high country mule right. deer has always been my priority yep. Yep. but elk hunting as of late has started to take priority yep and so i've really tried to to learn and, and figure out where where elk like it yep i mean like really the basic fundamentals of elk hunting are look for water uh cover and seclusion those are the three yep. biggest things that you can look for typically like a big timbered patch that has good water and good bedding in it um i know elk like to use benches to bed on so if you can find some timber that has a lot of benches in it they they love that stuff where they can bed uh i'm yeah it's it's tough i mean elk hunting you can still get on high vantage points and glass right for time yep but Sometimes that's not always the most effective way. Sometimes you just have to go hike around and go into some timber patches and see if they're all torn up with elk sign because elk typically leave a lot of sign behind, a lot of poop, a lot of tracks. And if it's the rut, you'll typically find, you know, the the timber patches are completely torn up with rubs. Right. The hells are just completely smashed down and, that's if you're and you can smell them too there yep oh yeah they're stinky <laughs> so, so if you catch a, a good waft and it smells like a, a barnyard just head into the direction that the wind's blowing <laughs> that's right Not right into the elk because they're they're nearby if you if you smell that yeah but, yeah i, I also you're looking for like back country as well yep. like they they don't like to be pressured right so they're typically in in areas that don't get a lot of pressure. So you got to look for those little spots that they're not getting pressured. It seems like that, that North facing timber, um, it seems like they love, you know, in the fall, they love to run a lot of that North facing stuff. It seems like there's a lot of good, a lot of good elk habitat that runs on that, you know, that North slope, that nice dark shaded stuff. Um, you know, it, it seems like I've found a lot of good elk sign in those patches too. Um, have you noticed that over the years? I mean, do you, do you feel like the North slopes, you know, especially in that September, October, do you, do you seem like that's kind of, you seem like you've, have you found more elk or ran into more elk on those North facers at that time of the season than you have the South? Yeah, it's typically a bit hotter during the rut. Yep. Unless you get an early snowstorm or something. Right, so. right. They typically like being in those thicker patches of timber on those north slopes where yep. it's nice and cool. Yep. 
and typically like if there's a lot of water and they still need to feed they're like mule deer where they need they need good feed uh but their feed is a little bit different as they are grazers not browsers so mule deer are browsers and they feed on like brush and forbs and different things like that whereas elk are grazers and they feed on more grasses and aspen leaves and things like that so yep uh, the feed's a little bit different so i'm usually looking for more like grassy parks with right timber that's typically like the type of country i'm looking for in elk country um and then you can even zoom in on google earth sometimes and you can see like game trails like moving across hillside absolutely (laughs) and that's a that's a good indicator that that's probably a good elk spot as well so yeah, it's. Uh, all those tools. It seems like there's a lot of people that ask me about the early elk hunts, and you know that early hunt, early in September. I mean, it can be a, a fun hunt. You know, you can run into some pre-rut action, but I think I can speak for both Jared and I. We like to hunt them in the rut. Um, you know, when they're bugling and when they're kind of giving away their location, and, and kind of when you got bulls running around trying to get harems build up and trying to herd up cows and calves. And and it seems like that's the most effective time. Now, mind you, we're both big mule deer guys in that early September part. So there's also that factor. We're usually busy chasing velvet bucks around. And then once they start stripping, it's time to go chase bugles. So that's kind of like, I guess you could say the little formula that we've got, but I tell people, and I want your thoughts on it, Jared, but if someone wants to go elk hunt, I'm directing them towards the rut. I mean, that, I feel like gives a guy that's never elk hunted the, the highest chance to run into bulls, to run into elk. Um, you kind of get the full experience. You know, you, you, you hit a hot day where they're bugling and you can hear them. That can really set the tone for the rest of the hunt and point you in the right direction. And that early part, sometimes they bugle, sometimes they don't. Um, and, you know, it can be tough. I mean, it can be super hot. They can be in that dark timber 24-7. Um, you know, you kind of feel the same. I mean, is, is you know, would you tell a guy pretty much um, the rut would be kind of the, a good starting point for someone that wants to get into elk hunting versus maybe like that first week or two of season? Oh, absolutely. Uh, prime rut, you know, yep. mid to late September would yep. probably be the time to go for for a new timer or anybody for that matter. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then just, you know, trying to locate them. I mean, if you just listen, typically if you're hiking around, you can, you can hear them rip off the bugle and yep, and just start heading in that direction with the wind in your favor. But the way you hunt elk, you have to have that wind in your favor. Or you're not getting close to them. So yeah, that's typically my strategy is to just, you got to hike a lot to find elk. Oh yeah. They're nomadic creatures. So you have to be nomadic as well. So I mean, over the years, I'm starting to learn that I'm going to have to just move camp a lot yeah. when you're elk. Yep. Can't always just have that base camp that keeps you in the zone because their zone moves quite a bit. They have five or six zones within one mountain that they're that they're utilizing all September. It's yep. not like they're just in one pocket all of September. I mean, maybe right. if they're not being pressured and they have everything they need, but right. that's typically not what I've witnessed. It seems like they they move around and they have, they have different spots that they like. So, uh, the zone can change from day to day really. And, uh, you have to be mobile in order to find those zones and figure out where they're living. 
Yeah, absolutely. I've I've learned from um, from I've got to hunt with Brian Barney and Dan Heverin quite a bit, and those guys are both notorious elk killers, and um, they rarely ever take elk calls with them. Um, they hardly ever bugle or do any type of calling. They do most of their locating at night. They'll find a herd bull or find some bulls in the middle of the night and run ridge lines and stay with them and figure out based off of the map and the direction that the, the herd's heading, where they're going or where they think they want to go. They'll cut ahead of them and pretty much, you know, try to kill them that way. I mean, it seems like that technique is gaining popularity, coyoteing the herd. Um, it's fun to get a bull fired up that wants to play the game that you can call in by all means. I mean, that's what everybody wants is to find a fired up bull that's slobbering on himself and covered in wall uh, and rolled around in a wallow and he's freaking just ripping off bugles and wants to come in and, and, you know, kick a, another bull's ass and breed the cow and, and steal the herd and everything. But it seems like with the amount of pressure and as many guys running around the mountain that are bugling all the time, it seems like um, you definitely want to have different, I guess, bags of trick or you want to have a different tricks in your bag um, as far as the arsenal goes to, to find bulls and kill bulls. And it does seem like at nighttime there's more and more rutting activity and bugling that goes on than there is during the day because of the pressure factor. So that's something that... Jared and I have talked about the unit that we picked is pretty big. Um, there's a lot of ridge lines, and it looks like we're going to be able to do a lot of moving, probably pack really light. Um, I'm not a huge bivy sack guy, but elk season, a good sleeping pad, sleeping bag, and a lightweight bivy are definitely options to stay on the move and pretty much pack up your camp every morning, put it on your back, and take off. I know Jared and I have talked about doing that. I mean, it's not the most, I guess you could say, comfortable. I mean, it's, it's it's nice to have a tent and kind of have a base camp like what Jared had talked about. But realistically, as much as elk move, you know, I think being mobile and, and packing up your camp and basically moving with the elk every day is probably about your best bet. So that's probably some stuff that we're going to try to do. But um, what would you... What would be your thoughts, I guess, on, you know, I mean, you hunt the front like, like I do. You live right there, you know, I mean... Elk, the elk hunting pressure on that place is probably about as good as anywhere, uh, or I should say, well, I, it depends on how you want to call it, good, as in numbers of people, there's a lot of people hunting, or bad, as in you run into a million guys that are bugling and, and trying to call in elk and whatnot, but um, what would be kind of your key strategy on, you know, hunting bulls in the rut? I mean, do you feel like, you know calling less is, is more type of deal. I mean, I, I know we've talked about finding bulls in the middle of the night seems like a great strategy. Um, just because, you know, they do bugle a lot more, but kind of what's your day to day look like? I mean, are you trying to find them at night too? It seems like, or, or do you try to blind call during the day some and try to strike a bull up that wants to play the game or, you know, what's yeah, it typically I'm look not, like? I am not a great caller at all. So I, I typically leave, leave the calls at home or in my backpack. And yeah. I typically carry a bugle tube yep. with me and rip off a location bugle every now and again. But, yeah. Um, if I can, if I can spot bulls and, yep. or you know, spot elk and, or hear elk, I'll just, I'll just coyote them. Like you said, yep. instead, of, instead of breaking out the calls. Cause more often than not, you, you rip off a bugle and then that bull rips off a bugle and then you realize he's moving further and further away right, from you right. instead of closer. Um, cause a herd bull doesn't typically want to be challenged. He doesn't want to get into a fight. 
Right. Um, typically trying to avoid that and keep his harem of cows um, so he can breed them all himself. Uh, yeah. He doesn't want to get into a fight unless he absolutely has to. Now, there, there is a time and a place for calling, and it's typically um, – it works better on satellite bulls or with elk – that when there's like multiple bulls yep, in yep. a herd and you're kind of in the middle of all the elk. And That's the perfect, it, it perfect like, scenario for a bow hunter. <laughs> right. Right. But typically I like to just coyote the herd, get on the edge of them and then let that bull make the last mistake. Um, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of success with archery elk hunting, so I'm still pretty new to, to the archery elk hunting game and I plan on learning every year I do it hopefully have some success this year and the future years to come. But yeah, I, I like to get up high and glass and, and then move in on elk when I spot them or if I can hear them, I'll just move in on them and, and go from there. I typically don't, don't call at all just cause I have never had success with it. Every time I, I break out a cow call or something, it just seems like they either shut up or, or they're moving 10 ridges over and, I never see him again, so I haven't had much luck with calling, but I know a lot of guys do, so I I don't have anything against it. I'm just yeah. I'm not good at it, I guess. Yeah, I think a lot of it's situational too. I I've tried to I've tried to get pretty solid um, on a bugle tube, and 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 you know I I've turkey hunted my whole life, so running I've been running diaphragm calls since I was a little kid, so I feel like I'm pretty solid on sounding like an elk, but I think a lot of it is very situational. And in today's world where there is a lot of elk calling pressure in a lot of places, um, the front's a prime example, you know, I think you got to find a bull that really wants to play the game and you've got to know exactly what to tell him at the right time to really sell yourself as a real bull or a real cow. And I think that's kind of where that knowledge and that confidence is something that I, I feel like I lack right now just because I've not elk hunted my whole life as far as, you know, I'm fresh, you know, fairly new, maybe eight, nine years of elk hunting under my belt and killed a couple bulls and, you know, whatnot. So, I mean, I've found some success, but I've found more success from my spot and stock ability than I have from actually calling. So, you know. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. Yep. I've, I've had more success with stocking them and getting close and yep. letting them make the last mistake. Well, hopefully this year we can run into that magical few days where bulls are just going nuts and they want to come kick another bull's ass and we can get a couple to come <laughs> walking right into about 40 yards and look the other direction while we zip one right through them. That that would be the uh that's sure. that's what we're looking that's what we're looking for, but uh well yeah, man, well I uh yeah, I'm happy we got to link up, man. This has been a fun one. I, I was I was excited to get you on. I know you know you've you've kind of been in this game about as long as I have, as far as just really diving into the the high country for mule deer and, and running around chasing bulls and stuff. And there's a lot of similarities there, and it's it's been fun to get to get to know you. And I'm really looking forward to hooking up on these hunts and stuff. And I hope that I hope we were able to to help you guys out as far as breaking down Colorado's system. I mean, it's a really good system as far as for a non-resident. I hope we were able to clear up a few maybe gray areas on kind of the preference point thing and how you can use that to your favor to gain a point, but still do some hunting on a second choice tag. And then Jared did a good job explaining the other ways you can, 
you know, potentially grab tags in Colorado. So you've got a couple options there. So don't give up hope if you don't draw in the first lotto. You've still got the second, and then you've got the leftover. So, I mean, there's definitely good opportunities there. And hopefully that we've shed a little bit of light um, and, and helped helped you a little bit on figuring Colorado out. It's uh, Every state's a little bit different. I wish they were all like Colorado because I feel like Colorado is pretty straightforward. Once you do it a year or two, it's not hard to navigate. Um Unfortunately, they're all not that way, but by all means, um, you know, if we can help you anyway, there's a few days left, um, you know, hit us up on social media. Oh yeah. By the way, where can people find you, Jared? You've got a, Jared's got a really good, I'm gonna let him explain it, but he's got a, uh, a really cool YouTube platform. He puts out a lot of really awesome videos about his adventures and whatnot, a lot of self-filming and and a, a lot of great footage. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to know you and, and watching a lot of your content and stuff. It's been fun. You just dropped a, um, a new video on, well, hell, you've put two out here pretty recent that have both been really, really awesome. And, and the footage has been great. So give us a rundown on where people can find you, Jared, as far as social media and your YouTube. And um, we'll, uh, we'll close it out with that. Yeah. Thanks for saying that, man. Uh, you can find me at, it's just my name, Jared Knighton um, on Instagram and on YouTube. So Jared underscore Knighton on Instagram and Jared Knighton on YouTube. Now you so. you you just released. Was it the? Let's see. You released a shed one. Was that the most recent? Or I, I've watched the last yeah. two. I forget which one I watched first. Yeah, it was the mule deer shed one. Yep. And then before that, I dropped my high country mule deer hunt from last year. Yeah, that's a great one to watch for people that want to get a good look at what um, high country willows and, and just different high country basins, what they should look like in the early season. Jared's got a lot of really good footage of some some giant bucks and a lot of great country um, as far as vegetation features that you heard us talk about in this episode. That video that he's got on his YouTube channel would definitely give you a good look at kind of what we're talking about. So definitely check those out. Give Jared or I a shout. Um, if you need anything, we'll be more than happy to try to help you. There's still a little over a week left. So if we can you know, help you some way or somehow on this Colorado deal um, on what to do, you know, there is some time left. So feel free to, to hit us up. And like, uh, like I always end them out, I, uh, I appreciate the hell out of every one of you. The podcast has been rolling now for, oh, let's see, since November. So it's, um, it's gaining steam each week. We're uh, trying to bring the trying to bring the best episodes we can to you each and every week and whatnot. We've had great feedback and I've really appreciated all the support and whatnot at the shows. We'll, we'll be at the Illinois Deer and Turkey Expo. This is our last show of the year. I think this is the ninth one for me and the gang. So that's exciting. Uh, I'm doing seminars Friday, Saturday, Sunday on uh, guide to Western big game hunting from uh, an Eastern guy's viewpoint, I guess you could say. So that'll be going on. I think I got one at uh, six o'clock, eleven o'clock, and I think uh, twelve o'clock are the three times I believe Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So if you're in Illinois at the shows, check those out, and by all means, like I said, hit us up if you need anything, and we are uh, we'll be happy to help you out. So you guys know what to do. Don't fucking settle. We'll see you next week. Can you say the letter C? CNC Hunt Files.